wasting, Thou rulest in might. By justice like mountains, I soaring above, Thy clouds which are fountains of goodness and love. To all life Thou givest, to both great and small, in all life Thou livest, the true life of all. We blossom and flourish as leaves on the tree, and wither and perish, but not changeth thee. God. As we gather together for worship this morning, each of us comes bearing the weight of our own fear, anxiety, and worry. In this hour, calm us with the presence of your Spirit. Give us peace that passes all understanding. Teach us how to cast all of our cares upon you. Open our eyes to the worry and anxiety of our brothers and sisters around us so that we may understand their journey and help to bear the load. We pray these things in the name of Jesus who still breathes upon us the gift of peace. Amen. You are here, 
sing in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. Keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are here, touching every heart. I worship you, I worship you, you are here, making every heart, I worship you, I worship you, you are here, turning lives around, I worship you. I worship you, you are here, mending every heart, I worship you, I worship you, we make a miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You wipe away all tears, you mend the broken heart, you're the answer to it all. The broken heart is the answer to it all, Jesus. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are here, touching every eye. I worship you, I worship you. You are here, meeting every need. I worship you. A reading from the book of Psalms. So teach us to count our days that we may gain a wise heart. Turn, O Lord, 
How long? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad as many days as you have afflicted us, and as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be manifest to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of our Lord God be upon us, and prosper us for the work of our hands. O prosper the work of our hands. A reading from the book of Matthew. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valued than they? And can any of you by worrying at a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But even if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, he will not much more than clothe you. You have little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This, this is the word of the Lord.
the wind. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the floods, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be consumed. You are mine, you are precious in my sight. Will the children come join me for the children's message? Hello, friends. Good morning. How are you? What? (laughs) One person's not feeling great today. It's okay. Not your day. Well, today I have this flower with me. It's really pretty, isn't it? It's not fake. It's real. But you know what? This flower did not have to go to the store to buy clothes to look pretty, did it? No. That'd be pretty, yeah, it'd be pretty silly, not to mention impossible, right? So where did it get its beauty from? Yeah, it grew that way. Why did it grow that way? Because God made it, exactly. God made it beautiful. And you know something incredible? The very same God who created this flower created each and every one of you guys, and me, and everyone here. Good question. Why do we have to buy food? You know, that's a good good point. If maybe if we were better farmers, we could just live off the land. But in today's scripture that Shelby and Lucy just read for us, Jesus tells us not to worry about things like food and clothes, because God cares for us and provides the things He create for the things that He created. Jesus says that not even the greatest ruler in the world, King Solomon, was dressed as beautifully as the flowers because God gave them their clothes. Since God created all of us, how much more do you think God cares for us than even this beautiful flower that won't last that long? It'll probably be dead in a couple days. How much, how much do you think God cares for us? A lot. So we don't need to worry or be afraid, but instead we should pray and tell God all of our problems and trust that he hears us. What are some things that you might be worried about that you can tell God? What do you think? Maybe when you have to go to a new place and make new friends, sick family members, maybe if you have a test at school, does that worry you? Maybe a big performance or a game? Yeah. Well, when we are tempted to worry about tomorrow, about a test at school, about a new place, making new friends, about a sick family member, remember how much God loves you and that you don't need to worry because God is taking care of you. Instead of worrying, which won't get you anywhere, we can give our worries to God and seek God's kingdom instead by doing what God wants us to do. And then we can realize we have everything we need, just like the beautiful flowers. So when you see a flower, Remember that you are more important to God than the most beautiful flower, so you don't need to worry. 
If God cares for the flowers, he for sure cares for each of you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for teaching us to trust in you and not to worry. We give you our anxieties, our worries, the things that we might be afraid of, and we pray that you would um, give us everything that we need because we know that you care for us. We love you, God. Thank you for everything. In your name I pray. Amen. Why should I feel discouraged? And why should the shadows, why should they come? And why should my heart be lonely and long for my heaven and home when Jesus is my portion a constant friend is he, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches over me. your heart be troubled his tender words I hear and resting on 
done his promise. I lose my doubt and fear. Though on the path he leads me, just one step I may see. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. He watches me. I sing because I'm happy. on the instructions for living a life. Uh, each week we've been interviewing someone and asking them about the life lessons they've learned along the way. And so it is my joy to get to interview our friend Linda Livingstone this morning. Glad to be here, Mary Alice. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Linda, I know you are a big sports fan. You played basketball in college. I know sports is important to you, Brad, Shelby, your entire family. And there are some significant life lessons you learned through sports. Can you tell us about a lesson you've learned along the way and how that's impacted you? Sure. Well, I think if you ask Shelby about a life lesson I learned from sports that I have tried to pass on to her, she would describe it as telling her to suck it up. <laughs> and uh, I, that's probably true. I would probably describe it more as developing resilience and perseverance. Uh, but when you play sports, you sometimes have really difficult times, you lose sometimes, you have injuries, and through those, you have to learn how to overcome that, to be resilient, learn from it, and then come back better and stronger after those difficult circumstances. You don't always win in sports, and you have to learn how to deal with that and come back from that. And what a great lesson to translate to our lives as well. Let's talk about your job for a minute. 
Now, your job brings with it an enormous amount of responsibility, and I can't imagine the stress that comes with it. But one of the things I appreciate most about you is that you always seem centered in what God is calling you to do. Um, And I think many of us see that quality within you. How do you stay grounded in the midst of a stressful season? Well, it's certainly not always easy to do that. But I think really, particularly with what I do at Baylor, it's always trying to stay focused on the purpose for which we're working, to really build and grow a Christ-centered institution that's supporting our faculty, staff, and students. And so it's really trying to stay grounded in my faith and and how that helps me and my team make decisions. I also have a wonderful team of uh, committed Christians who care deeply about what we're doing, and we really support and encourage one another. And then uh, Brad and Shelby, we have a wonderful close family, and they are wonderful encouragers. Brad is a real prayer warrior, so I know he's always there praying for me. Shelby is a wonderful encourager. She's also quite funny, so she can always make me laugh about something. And then I, Brad and I always say that I think God gave us children in part to keep us humble. And so Shelby's good at that sometimes, reminding me I'm not always the president in everywhere I am and in everything that I do. I love that. I mean, such a good reminder to surround ourselves with community who's going to walk with us, challenge us, laugh with us, all those things. And I can personally attest that Brad is a prayer warrior for me as well. And I know when I ask him to pray with me about something, he's doing that. What about significant moves in your life? I know that you've made moves to the West Coast and to the East Coast and back to Texas. What has processes of, what have processes of discernment looked like for you when you've sensed God calling you to make a major life decision? Well, those are always hard decisions to make, and I think different things have influenced the decisions uh, our family has made at different points in time. You know, oftentimes it starts with kind of a nudging from God that it's that you're ready to move on, that it's time to finish up what you're doing wherever you are. You've accomplished what you need to, and it's time to move to a new opportunity. There have also been times that people who know me well, who uh, care about me, have spoken into my life and said, you know, you might want to consider this opportunity. Very specifically, Blaine McCormick, good friend back here. He walked into my office back, uh, this was, I don't know, a long time ago, said, hey, I just want you to know I nominated you to be the dean of the business school at Pepperdine. And I'm like, well, I'm not looking for a job, and I know nothing about Pepperdine. But honestly, if he hadn't done that, I would have probably never known about that opportunity. And it was a wonderful move that really God called us. Although telling people God called you to Malibu is really a hard thing for them to actually (laughs) believe. Uh, But then coming to Baylor was a a very difficult decision. We'd only been at George Washington for three years. But I will say Brad spoke to Brad early, early in that process, long before I had ever talked to the search committee or anything, and really sort of given him a word that we were going to be at Baylor. I didn't always believe him or think that was what was going to happen. But then I would say at the very end of that process, and I really think this was God working in this situation, uh, you know, the regents had been through a difficult time. They had had difficult decisions to make. They had not agreed. They had had lots of conflict. But, and many people believe they could never agree on anything, much less who to hire as the next president. And when they voted, uh, after I interviewed with them, on whether to call me as the next president, it was a unanimous vote. And that was a real affirmation that, that God was calling us to be at Baylor, you know, kind of for this particular moment in time to hopefully do some good work here. So I think God's used different circumstances and different people to help us pray through and work through where we're called to be at different times. I'm going off script for a second, but I think I remember a story of someone walking into your office and inviting you to Calvary. 
when you all yes. first came to Cal. Is that right? That's correct. So that was actually Charles Davis, Charles and Elizabeth okay. Davis. Yeah. Elizabeth's the president of Furman now. And uh, Elizabeth's uh, cousin was the pastor at the time, Ken Massey. And they actually uh, came by. We had not, we all came to campus at the same time to Baylor. And uh, Charles walked in one day and said, hey, you want to come to church at Calvary? And we said, sure, why not? And honestly, from the minute we stepped through the doors, we knew this was where God was calling us to, to be a part of the church family. You just never know what impact those voices are going to have on your life and where you go. You work with students on a daily basis. Raise your hand in this room if you are a student of any level. Lots of students out there. What word of wisdom do you have to offer students in the room? I think the word I would share today is to be fearless or to be courageous. And I, I say that to be fearless in kind of living your faith, even if you're around people that don't agree with that or may give you a hard time about it, but to, to be fearless and courageous about that, uh, to be uh, fearless about trying new things and doing new and interesting things, meeting people you wouldn't meet otherwise. When you're a student, whether it's a high school or college student, you're around interesting people. You have all kinds of opportunities to learn and grow and do new and different stuff. So do that. Take full advantage of that. And then I think the last thing I would say is to be fearless in being authentically who God has created you to be, not who somebody else thinks that you should be. And that can be hard as a student and, and really live into who God has created you uniquely and specially to be. That can be hard at any age. That's a good word for all of us. Any final thought? We're writing on these cards our instructions for living a life. Any final instruction that you seek to live by? Well, I think I'm going to play off the, the scripture that uh, Shelby and Lucy uh, read this morning and uh, to seek first or strive for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I think that's great a great lesson for living for all of us at any point in our lives. Awesome. Thank you, Linda. You're welcome.
now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this room be found pleasing to you. O oh Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What do you worry about? What is it that makes your heart beat faster just thinking about it or that keeps you awake long after you wanted to be asleep? What is that sinking feeling in your chest that just won't go away? What is it that you find yourself worrying about? I asked this question on Facebook this week, and immediately I began to receive Facebook posts and messages, text messages, and even a video message in response. Friends, we carry so many worries within us. People share things like, I worry if I am enough. I worry about my finances. As a single adult with a mound of student loan debt, the worry that I may not be able to cover all my bills is constant. I worry about losing my independence. I worry about what the next four years is going to mean for our country. I worry about whether I have provided my children with the tools they need to be successful adults. I worry about friends and family who don't know Christ. I worry about the divisiveness in our country and the legacy that is leaving for our children and grandchildren. I worry about my son's alcohol use disorder. I attend Al-Anon twice weekly so that my worry does not make me sick. I don't think he'll survive his illness. I don't just worry that he will die, but that I will not be able to survive his dying or his living. I love him so much. I worry about not being able to afford health insurance. Sometimes I worry that all my friends hate me secretly. I worry about my children's faith or lack thereof. I worry about my mental health and happiness. Living with depression, I've learned ways to pull myself up from low places, but I worry that at some point it just won't work. I worry that I will spiral again. I worry about my kids and the way I'm raising them. I want them to grow up to be people who engage with those who are different, to show kindness to others and to live up to their potential. I worry about so many things that go along with parenting. Money. I worry about it all the time. It's suffocating. I worry that my son will never experience freedom from his addictions. I worry about my students every single day. I think about their life at night and the things they hear and see. I worry about how they are just children and how some of them do not have a parent to love them and take care of them. I worry how some of them have to be a parent to their younger siblings. I worry about how hard their life is. I worry that my job as an adjunct won't meet enrollment and that I won't get a class and that I won't have enough money. I worry that I work too much and don't spend enough time with my children. I finally had to stop including any more responses in my sermon notes for today, but the list could go on and on. Needless to say, I was blown away by people's honesty and vulnerability and their willingness to share these things with me that they bury deep within themselves. It was an important reminder that sometimes being able to name our worries 
and being able to put them in a safe place somehow makes them a little less overpowering than when we keep them stuffed within ourselves. Like Mr. Rogers says, everything that is human is mentionable, and everything that is mentionable can be more manageable. And yet, I was also overwhelmed at the number and the sheer weight of the responses I received. Most of the ones I chose to share today were from Calvary, but I received plenty of others from friends I haven't seen in years. It was a reminder that all of us are carrying heavy burdens and that we never know what the person right beside us may be carrying deep within them. And so in light of this lengthy list of worries, today's scripture reading is a difficult one. We're in this series about the instructions for living a life, and today Jesus' instructions to us are, do not worry about your life which is so much easier said than done, isn't it? It seems like very few of us are actually able to follow Jesus' advice here. But I don't think Jesus is throwing his hands up in the air and saying, Akuna Matata, like Simone and Pumbaa in The Lion King. Nor is he whistling and singing, Don't worry, be happy, like Bobby Farron. Jesus is speaking to his disciples here at the Sermon on the Mount to the very people who have given up everything to follow him. Their families, their jobs, their sense of security. He's speaking to people for whom daily needs like food and clothing would have absolutely been a worry as they moved from place to place. I can only imagine the list of concerns that would have been filling their minds at this time, and yet Jesus is somehow calling them out of the fray and inviting them to trust in God in a deeper way than they had before. Jesus says to them, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And he's right, isn't he? Worrying doesn't produce anything effective within us. We can't gain time or power or control through worrying. We can't worry something into happening or not happening as hard as we might try. Instead, worrying is like what a cow does when chewing its cud. It chews it, swallows it, regurgitates it, and then starts chewing it again. And in the same way, we mull the same information over and over in this endless cycle without ever finding a new perspective on our stress. But if you've ever really been worried about something, you know it's not that simple to just stop, is it? So when I was young and would be in the hospital recovering from a broken bone, I'm going to tell you my number one worry during that time. Changing the sheets of the hospital bed. You heard that correctly. Now shots, you could poke me as many times as you wanted. Another surgery, okay, I can handle that. But changing the sheets and I would become completely unglued. Now, I know that sounds strange, and people may laugh at that without knowing the situation, but very few people knew what the experience of changing the hospital bed sheets was like for me. 
You see, whenever I broke my femur bone, which I did five or six times growing up, I had to be in traction, meaning that my broken leg was hanging from a sling in the air above my bed, and I needed to keep it very still for several weeks in order for the bones to begin to glue back together. And I usually managed this pretty well until the nurses needed to change the sheets, <laughs> which they insisted needed to happen every other day. But I couldn't just hop out of bed and let them change the sheets. They had to lift me up to get the old sheets off and the new sheets back on. And every time they needed to do this, the pain was absolutely excruciating. My body still tenses up just thinking about those moments. And so when I was in the hospital, I was always worried about sheet changing day more than anything else during those difficult weeks. As soon as we finished changing the sheets one day, I would feel this deep sigh of relief that I had made it, but before long I would begin worrying about when they would need to change the sheets again. And my mom would always tell me this verse, don't worry about tomorrow. But I honestly didn't know how not to worry about something that was such a big deal and something that was so painful. I think it's an important reminder for us that people's worries are real, even when we don't completely understand them on our own. And we can't always flip a switch and just turn them off. That's especially true for those of us in the room who may experience anxiety, which is a different focus than mine for today, but needs to be mentioned nonetheless. You know, there are certain kinds of worries that all of us are going to experience that are somehow within the realm of our control, even if they seem to be pushing the limits. But sometimes our bodies and minds can experience a kind of anxiety that becomes outside of our control and too much to manage on our own. Sometimes we need a counselor, a doctor, medication, or other treatments to find health and wholeness in the midst of anxiety. And so I want to be clear that I'm no, in no way preaching a message of praying anxiety away, just like I wouldn't preach that about a broken bone. But I do think that Jesus gives all of us a good tool here when we find ourselves worried. He doesn't stop with the instruction not to worry, which really isn't all that helpful for a worrying person. He goes on to say, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough, he says. And I can't help but wonder if what Jesus is saying here is when you find yourself worried about tomorrow, there's no use doing that. You can't control tomorrow. But what you can control is what you do today. And so what is yours to do today? What is the next right thing that you can do today? As author Glennon Doyle says, just do the next right thing, one thing at a time. That will take us all the way home. Phil Sitton told us a story in staff meeting this week that I think is a beautiful example of doing the next right thing. He said that a man walked into a friend's office one day to find a large glass jar on his desk that was halfway filled with brightly colored marbles. And he asked his friend, what are you doing with that, <laughs> playing marbles at work? And his friend said no, and then he quoted Psalm 9012. So teach us to number our days 
that we may live wisely and well, just like Shelby and Lucy read for us. His friend paused and said, after hearing these words, I wanted to have a picture of what numbering my days looked like. So I took a good guess at how many days I may have left, and I poured that many marbles into this jar. Each morning, I take a marble from this jar, and I talk to God about what's going on that day, about my worries and concerns, about what is mine to do and how I need God's help. And then I put the marble in my pocket. I often feel it throughout the day when I reach for my keys, reminding me of my intentions for the day. And then at the end of the day, I take the marble out and I have a debriefing time with God. How did I do? Where did I fall short? Then I throw the marble away. Day by day, the level of the marbles in the jar decreases, giving me a reminder that I'm not getting any more days in my life. I can't do anything about that, but I can focus on the marble in my pocket in hopes that I will spend that day wisely and well. It's a good reminder that we can't do anything about tomorrow, like Jesus tells us, but we can have a choice about what we do and how we live today. We can do the next right thing today, one day at a time, and that will take us all the way home. In her book, The Next Right Thing, Emily Freeman points out that this is often how Jesus instructs people in Scripture. Oftentimes, right after Jesus performed a miracle, he gave people a simple next thing to do. For instance, to the leper, he said to tell no one about what had happened, but to go and show himself to the priest. To the paralytic, he said, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. To Jairus and his wife, after raising their daughter from the dead, he told them to make her something to eat. At first, that seems like a waste of a captive audience, Freeman says. Rather than a life plan, a clear vision, or a five-year list of goals, the leper, the paralytic, and Jairus and his wife were given clear instructions about what to do next, and only next. He made the next right thing unmistakably clear. Not the next big thing, not the next impressive thing, not the next right thing, but the next right thing. Because perhaps there's something about doing the next right thing that invites us to trust in God with all the rest. And so I want you to consider for a moment today a worry that you brought with you into this room. What is the next right thing you can do related to this situation? If you're worried about the state of our country, what is the next right thing you can do to make a difference in your corner of the world? If you're worried about your children, what is the next right thing you can do to be the best parent you can be in this moment? If you're worried about your health, what is the next right thing you can do to address it and to care for yourself? If you're worried about your finances, what is the next right thing you can do to work toward being in a better place financially? I'm not saying we can be our own savior here. We can't. We can't fix the problems of our world and of our lives. And thankfully, we follow a God who is big enough to handle our worries about all of them. 
And God can be trusted with this, friends. But God gives us a role to play in all of this too, and it doesn't include worrying about what's going to happen next. God needs us to be part of the work that God is doing to bring healing and wholeness and redemption to the world and to our lives. God needs us to seek first the kingdom of God as we read in today's text. And perhaps that starts with doing the next right thing that God is guiding us to do, trusting that God will lead the way one step at a time. It's what Anna discovers in Frozen 2, isn't it? She is overwhelmed with grief, and she is stranded in a cave in the middle of nowhere, absolutely overwhelmed. And yet she sings, and I'm not going to sing today. This is a pretty complex song, but the words are really good. Her words are this, take a step, step again. It is all that I can do. I won't look too far ahead. It's too much for me to take in. But break it down to this next breath, this next step. This next choice is one that I can make. So I'll walk through this night, stumbling blindly through the light, and I'll do the next right thing. And so, friends, as we go about discerning the instructions for living a life, let's not worry about tomorrow, for today has enough troubles of its own. May we have the courage to do the next right thing, one thing at a time. And may God lead us and guide us all the way home. And so, God, I ask that in these moments, help us to know that next right thing. We know that your word says to give you our burdens. Because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And so I ask that you would help us to turn over our worries and our anxieties to you. And to trust that you are big enough to hold them and to carry them. God, help us to know that whatever we're facing, whatever is before us, we're not alone in this. God, help us to do the next right thing by your grace. We ask these things in your name and for the sake of your kingdom. Amen. Well, the reality is that the starting point for living a life begins with discovering what it looks like to follow in the ways of Jesus. And so if you would like to talk with one of our ministers about what it looks like to follow in those ways, we'd love to visit with you in the back of the sanctuary today. Maybe you want to become part of our faith community here at Calvary, where we seek to follow Christ together in the best ways we know how. We would love to welcome you into our church family today. Maybe you want to keep reflecting on these instructions for living a life and what the next right thing looks like for you today. There are green cards along the sides of all the pews and the two sides in the middle and the sides closest to the aisle on the sides. Um, feel free to take one of those green cards and write and reflect in these moments as well. However God leads you to respond, our ministers will be in the back to greet you, pray with you as we continue in worship.
to see the truth. When fears grip us tight and we feel we cannot move, free our hearts and help us to take things one step at a time. When we can't express the turmoil inside, calm us with your quiet words of love. You choose to we choose to trust in you each day, each hour, each moment of our lives. In times such as these, Lord, I ask you to grant us strength faith, and courage to fight off the doubt, fear, and worry within our minds. Faith casts our fear while fear casts out faith. Amen.
just a few things to remember as we are going today. You will walk right past the small group signups as you leave today, and we hope that you will consider joining a group for the season of Lent. Uh, it will be based off the book Learning to Walk in the Dark by Barbara Brown Taylor, which will be our theme for Lent. Um, this is a great way to get to know new people, to welcome new people into the life of Calvary, and to dig deeper into what we're talking about in worship. So I hope you will participate in that. Also, I hope you saw an exciting personnel update. Uh, the Coordinating Council voted last week to make Allie Chapel de Hay our Minister of Youth and Communications here at Calvary. We're very excited about that. Allie is very gifted in the areas of communications and public relations, already has great ideas for bringing our website up to the 21st century, uh, ideas for podcasts based on worship series and lots of exciting things. We really think that area is so much the front porch to the life at Calvary for other people to see in. So we're excited about Allie's leadership. We will start a search for our office manager. You can see more information about that in the worship folder. Next Sunday, we hope you'll join us for our fajita lunch and our children's camp fundraiser. And finally, this Wednesday night, Paul Baxley will be here. Paul is the executive coordinator of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. And I think it's pretty significant that he wants to visit us at Calvary. There's lots of CBF churches in town that he could be visiting, and he wants to spend some time with us to get to know us better, to get to know our church. And so I really ask that you would make an effort to stop by between 6 and 7, introduce yourself, welcome him to Calvary, and get to know him better. Hope to see you Wednesday night. Well, please join me in this benediction. Friends, may the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces. Walk with you in darkness, shining lights along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment. And comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you. May Christ's mercy astound you. And may the Spirit abound in you, so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with us always. Amen.